You are entering the Freedom Hut. A left-wing mob surrounds Tucker Carlson's home in D.C. and terrifies his wife, who is trapped inside. We'll talk about how it is that we can fight back against these maniacs and also what is going on over at the DOJ. What are all these calls for a recusal? Where is the Mueller probe going? We've got that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Tucker Carlson, you're outside your home? A liberal mob gathered outside of Fox News host and Daily Caller uh, alum Tucker Carlson last night with a bullhorn chanting, we know where you sleep at night. Tucker Carlson wasn't even home when this happened, but his wife was, and she was inside that house on the quiet streets of D.C. She was inside that house alone and terrified because there was an effort made to kick in the front door at one point. There was damage done to the door. So she locked herself in a pantry and called 911. The couple of dozen left-wing maniac stalker agitators who were outside continued to yell and make noise They didn't care about the fact that Tucker's wife was home alone and didn't know if this was going to turn into a violent incident. Didn't care about the fact that Tucker has children who also could have been home. Thankfully, they were not. And they didn't care about the fact that this should never happen in this country. This should not be in any way, you know, talked about as something that could happen no matter what Tucker Carlson says on TV. And those who do the yes, but construction need to be called that as well. It's not all right to say, all right, I I don't agree with the tactics here, but what Tucker Carlson says on TV is a racist. Bull crap. People who say that are idiots, they're cowards, and they're despicable. And a lot of journalists, the co-founder of Vox.com, which is a website that for some reason a lot of idiot left-wing millennials tend to read. The co-founder was saying he can't can't feel any sympathy. This was proclaimed this publicly today online. Can't feel any sympathy for Tucker Carlson's wife. See, this is what's different. This is what is different about the left and the right on these issues. And I saw some of the morons today running around saying, oh, but what about the pipe bombs of CNN? 
Not a single person that I know in media for one second said, oh, well, you know, the pipe bomb sent to CNN, you know, it's kind of bad, but CNN says some stuff. And No, it's illegal, it's grotesque, and the person who did it should be held accountable to the greatest possible extent under the law. Everyone I know in the media, everybody I know in conservative politics who has any kind of a following or any kind of say in the national conversation to a person took the position that, yeah, it's completely unacceptable for a lone psychopath to send pipe bombs to not just CNN, also a bunch of other people, too, who were left-wing Democrats. Nobody was doing the, oh, but, you know, it's CNN says some really bad stuff. No, no unacceptable. And what's different here is that in a situation where there was vandalism, there were threats, there was menacing, one of the people who was gathered outside of the Carlson home mentioned a pipe bomb, kicked in at the door, vandalized their driveway, wrote an anarchy sign there. I mean, you know, this, this is what we're up against. Smash racism DC, this group calls themselves. They should be shunned by any human being with a shred of decency or integrity. Anybody who works for this or works with this organization should be fired. And you know I don't call for firings and boycotts and all that stuff, but this is way beyond what could be acceptable. And you know what this group was doing before? This is the same group. The same group that was harassing Ted Cruz in a restaurant, the same group that shows up and yells at people in front of their spouses, terrifies them, menaces them in public. And I was hearing a lot of left-wing activists over the summer, a lot of left-wing politicians. Remember Maxine Waters? Get up in their faces, yell at them. She's now going to be chairman of the uh, Finance Oversight Committee. Oh, that's a great idea. These people don't have any principles to speak of. They just say what they have to in the moment to advance their own interests and agenda. And we are dealing with a rotted left-wing political culture in this country that has radicalized. This is not a one-off. They've done this over and over again. They also, I know, shared uh, some other prominent conservatives' home addresses, people that include uh, mentors and people I admire in this business, and so that they can be harassed? They, they think this accomplishes what exactly? No, all this does is allow them to vent their rage and feel righteous in the process. And this is not universally condemned on the left. This was not one person. This was about 20, 25 people, by the way who got together and showed up and did this. And, you know, okay, nobody was nobody was hurt this time around. Maybe that's not the case next time. I can tell you this. One of these punks would not want to try to kick in my door while I was home. And I will also say this. If some conservative was surrounded by a left-wing mob like this and they decided that they were to defend their property... And things got ugly. If I were on that jury, I would not I would not convict a person for defending himself, his family, and his home. I don't care what the authorities say. That's right. Jury nullification is a real thing, my friends. 
You cannot show up at someone's home and terrify them because you don't like their politics. It is unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And it is not universally condemned on the left. Don't let them pretend like it is. They want to bring up CNN. You talk about what happened to the dozen Republican congressmen at a baseball field who were actually shot, actually almost killed. Don't let them try to bully you with this victimization like it's only on one side. The only real blood that has been shed to date when it comes to this kind of high-profile political targeting in this country in the last couple of years was Republicans. They do not universally condemn this because there is a large part of the progressive left that condones this behavior, some of them publicly, a lot more of them privately. Now you take it to, well, why would they think that this is okay? How how could they ever be so corrupted? How could their souls be so fetid that they would ever think this is okay? Well, they go around saying that we're white nationalists, folks. They go around saying that we're the moral equivalent of neo-Nazis, that Trump is a racist, a misogynist, basically Hitler, and that he's destroying the country and he's a threat to democracy and he must be stopped at all costs. When you use that kind of rhetoric, bad things happen. I know people say, oh, Buck, we can't blame anyone. We can't blame any one politician for the actions of any one person. Okay, fine. I'm calling out the entire political culture on the left which encourages this insane conspiracy theory nonsense about how Trump is undermining our democracy, destroying the First Amendment, and any day now, fascism is going to just overtake the country because of Trump. These people are nuts. And crazy people who believe that they are righteous in their insanity can be very, very dangerous. This is the result of a radicalization that is not a one-off. This is not one crazy person. This is now a coherent political ideology. This is a group. This is anti-fascism. This is smash racism. This is these different entities that exist in dozens of cities across the country, engage in pitched street battles, do get violent, do destroy property, and are threatening to do more. They don't hold back because of respect for the law or institutions. They hold back because they know that the country is not with them yet and that even the left at some point would have to discard them if they became truly violent, if they really acted as domestic terrorist organizations. But they're right on the line. They are right on the line. And what happens if we do have a one-off incident? What happens if something does go really wrong? I've said this to people. You know, you usually... You usually find that when you're discussing the possibility of real conflict in this country, that people are exaggerating, people take this too far, they're trying to get attention for themselves. Let me let me just put this out there. Let, let's look at what's in the realm of the possible here. What would this country look like politically? What would it have looked like politically if for the last... 15 months or so, 16 months, we were still reeling from the mass assassination of about a dozen conservative members of Congress by a Bernie Sanders supporter, because we were right on the razor's edge of that happening. To be fair to our analysis here, 
what would the country look like if instead of one deranged lunatic who was not skilled at building bombs, what if it had been a a group of people, some kind of, you know, uh, neo-Nazi entity or whatever, some kind of right-wing extremists. And they had successfully sent a number of pipe bombs in the mail to people and maimed and or killed a number of them. What would our political culture look like then? These things are not beyond the realm of possibility. I'm not talking about an invasion by space aliens here. It only takes one of these events, one of these incidents to go really bad before we wake up and it feels like we're in a different country. And I would just feel a little bit better if I could get the left to agree that this is about a universally applicable standard. You don't engage in violence because you don't like someone's ideas. You don't get to intimidate, threaten, harass, and terrify people because you disagree with what they say on TV. You don't get to violate any public person's private space, any politician's moment of of calm and peace because you disagree with their politics. That destroys our civil society. That destroys our political culture. And we either completely shut that down or we have to hold those responsible who continue to fan these flames and it is not equal on both sides it is markedly worse on the left these people who hate trump so much that you cannot have a rational or reasonable conversation with them about anything anymore are a danger to the republic because it doesn't take a lot of them to do something that forever transforms the country that we live in, and the politics that run it. I know, nobody was hurt, thank thank God, at, at Tucker's house last night. But also this, I, I can't help but say, I mean, this, this hits close to home. I've been telling you now for months, it feels strange being here in D.C. There's a, a sense of menace in the air from the left. You're just aware of it. There's a hatred and a desperation. It just comes across toward conservatives, toward the right. The culture here has flipped. It has rotted against open and friendly dialogue between opposing sides. And I just think, how long is it before some of my close friends within the conservative movement have something like this happen to them? How long before one of my friends is... Notice because of his appearances. on I'll be on Fox News twice tonight. How long is it before maybe I get accosted, maybe a punch thrown at me in a bar because I stand for the Constitution and for liberty in this country? These are real concerns now. Something we have to be aware of every day, those of us who are here behind liberal lines, and especially those of us who are vocal in this fight. I've received messages in the last 24 hours from people who are not prone to be nervous. And they're just saying, hey, just watch yourself. Watch your back down there. Be careful. Anybody who goes on TV now and speaks forcefully in defense of the Trump administration could be a target. And one of these incidents could go very bad very quickly. And we will wake up in a different country the next day. And the left needs to knock it off and get a grip. I'll be right back. 
I'll put I'll put Mr. Burgess up against uh, Sean Hannity. He'll tear him up. Now, how much yes, Kool-Aid has it's Sean Hannity drunk before he drowns? What Sean Hannity says had a direct link. Well, may have. We don't we don't know who it is. We don't know the motive. But what was fascinating is you see a direct pattern between the president's attacks on Twitter and, and the stage. It being echoed and amplified by Fox News and other folks in the contrivagentsia. He all but declared Fox News to be American state TV. The symbiotic relationship with the Fox News network, the sort of state-run TV now. And certainly on the state-run TV that Fox has become, they will parrot his talking points. It is really state-run TV. Mm. It is a pure propaganda machine. Are you blaming the Hannity's of the world? Well, I think they have a share of um, sort of this you know, revving up of hatred. Sean Hannity is a desperate, desperate man desperately defending a desperate, desperate president. Sean Hannity has a show that Shep Smith and the rest of the news people at Fox News consider to be a joke. They call it fake news. It, it, it's trash, though. The hate crime coincided with a rise in hateful language. Okay, so you, you get the, the idea. Just, this is just a, a, a taste of how the media trashes unfairly Fox and specifically goes after Sean Hannity, who's on Premier Networks before this show airs who everybody who works with him thinks of as a, as a great guy, a family guy, a highly ethical guy who loves his country and does the best he can every day. But those are other people in the media just, just trashing him, trashing Fox News. It's one channel. There are all these other lib channels, just lib propaganda all day. And they complain about the First Amendment's under threat. Meanwhile, half the country has one news channel to rely on and nothing. You know, nothing in terms of respect for it, nothing in terms of, oh, maybe that's a voice that should be heard, too. And then they want to complain about the First Amendment. They want to complain about the threat to democracy. They want a one party state in politics and they want a one party state in the media. They don't want opposing voices. They can't handle opposing voices. Stelter and all these other clowns. Plus, they're just jealous of Sean for having a bigger audience and being more successful than any of them, including fake Jake and the whole squad over at CNN, all of them. So they're really nasty to them. But, man, you know, they play the victims over at CNN and, and the Lib Journals at ABC and all the time. By the way, their political director blocked me on Twitter. I don't even talk to the guy. What a what a wimp. Matt from Pittsburgh. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Buck. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Um, you talked about Tucker Carlson's house and the protesters out front there. I have 20-plus years in law enforcement prior Marine Corps, and I want to know why those people weren't arrested, because at the very least, that's disorderly conduct. Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. I know the police showed up. There's actually a police report that describes the vandalism. And now D.C. police, I see the reporter, are, are investigating this as a, as a possible hate crime, which, you know, I, I don't know where that's really going to go. Um, but, yeah, the cops didn't arrest anybody. And if that's not disorderly conduct, I don't know what is. Just the simple level of it. And it goes back to the protests they had in Baltimore when the mayor there said, you need to give them space to destroy things. No, you don't. The Constitution says, peaceably assemble. I've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution. That doesn't mean you destroy people's property. It doesn't mean you shout other people's voices down when you don't like what they have to say. Matt, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, it's it's distressing to see this um, getting so much traction left. And people from 
you know, with big platforms and a lot of followers, you're saying, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's a great idea, but I'm not saying it's terrible either. And, you know, they don't get they don't get shunned from public discourse. They're not told, you know, you're not allowed to go on air at MSNBC anymore. So this is really found this kind of extremism has really found a home on the left and uh, and they are not willing to clean house. Anyway, thank you for your service, by the way, Matt. Thank you very much for calling in. Do not let them try to pretend that this is equal on both sides. Yes, there there are crazy people of all kinds of political persuasions. I, I, I get that. But the left has, in the era of Trump, he's really scrambled their brains. I mean, they they cannot have a normal, rational conversation about the direction of the country, what Trump is doing. And you know, when you start throwing around things with a straight face, like, oh, Trump is a fascist and he's like a Nazi. You know, they should really go take a walk through the Holocaust Museum here in D.C. It's it's disgusting to call people Nazis who, uh, you know, have, have done nothing to warrant that. Not Nazis. I mean, the Nazis, I don't have to tell you, you all know, I and mean, this is a very historically uh, uh, literate audience, but it's just. This is caught on in progressive circles. I mean, they'll, they'll talk about this. And, and for those who think, by the way, that, oh, it's because of Trump and the norms. No, no, no. There were there were elements on the left back in the early 2000s who were, were who were referring to Bush and the, the wars after 9-11 as as fascist, uh, fascistic and, and somehow akin to fascism. So this is this is an, a tactic for them. This is what they'll, they do. They'll they'll go to this place where they will use this kind of extremist uh, language and extreme, extreme emotional outburst stuff instead of actual argument and discourse. But man, it's uh, we are going to talk about the uh, Mueller probe coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, Sarah Carter is going to join with all the latest on what she's hearing there. So much craziness going on about how uh, Whitaker should recuse himself over DOJ. Protect Mueller. There's currently a vigil. I've seen photos of it at the White House. Protect Mueller. They're all holding up these signs. and Because you know, Mueller's going to save them. I've got news for you, Libs. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Mueller is not going give, to give you what you want. And you're going to look foolish for having thought all along that that was going to happen. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're not heading for some very dark stuff here, very scary stuff going forward. Uh, Manchin is a Democrat, but as you know, is kind of a sort of kind of maybe Democrat. Uh, this is what he said about where we are right now. Play 12. The firing of the attorney general, Jeff Sessions. You are the only Democrat to have voted for him. Are we approaching a yeah. constitutional crisis? I think we're on the, on the verge of that. Here's where I think we are. First of all, Jeff Sessions is a good person. I've known Jeff and uh, we were friends. And uh, I was the only Democrat that voted for him. But I knew that Jeff, the rule of law meant everything to Jeff. Uh, I think it's a big mistake uh, to let Jeff Sessions go. I understand the Mueller investigation is wrapping up. You ought to have the team in place to wrap it up so there's no questions. The president has the right to remove the attorney general for any reason or no reason. People are allowed to say they don't like it. But to call it a constitutional crisis, they should have to identify in what way does this conflict with the Constitution? They throw around this term. To libs, the Constitution is just a big fancy word they use to try to give a little extra oomph to whatever they're whining about. But calling something a constitutional crisis does not make it so, and you should not use libs, constitutional crisis, as a stand-in for I don't like something. 
I, I don't like that thing, so I'm going to call it a constitutional crisis. I don't agree with that policy. So let's say it's a, you know, the, the overheated and overwrought rhetoric is, you're just inundated. It's like swimming around in this crap all the time. Can't they just talk about these things like a normal person? What's really happening or what they really want to say, what they... No, it's always, oh, Trump is a Nazi. The country's collapsing. Russia stole the election. This is all, this is all in some kind of dystopian fantasy land that the left lives in. But enough people live it that you get mobs showing up at people's houses, threatening them and scaring them. You get mobs showing up in restaurants. Remember, see, this is the thing that's different. This isn't a one-off. This isn't one person. This isn't some lunatic who's sending bombs through the mail, which is terrible, horrible, and should be condemned by and was condemned by every normal, reasonable person. This whole mob tactic thing is a mob, so it's by definition lots of people, and they've been doing it for months. For months. And a lot of them would say when they were harassing McConnell and Ted Cruz and others that, you know, they're public figures, you know. So what? It's not as bad as being separated from your kids at the border. This was the kind of smarmy BS that they would say. And now we're at the point where they're forcing people's spouses to cower in fear, which is a completely reasonable response when you've got a mob outside your home on a quiet street yelling about how they know where you sleep. This is the America the libs want. It's going to get worse, folks. Keep your shield high because this is going to get nastier. we got more on the Mueller probe. Stay with me. Well, I've spoken to a senior Democratic source on the Ways and Means Committee who says tonight, breaking news, they do intend to request President Trump's tax returns. Getting your hands on those Trump tax returns, as everyone knows, would be a big deal for the committee. Are you offering an my way or highway scenario to the Democrats? You're saying no. that if, if, if they start investigating you, that you oh. can play that game oh, yeah. and investigate Better them. Better than them. Can you, com- can you compartmentalize that? And I think I know more than they know. Can you compartmentalize that and still continue to work with them for the benefit of the rest of the country? No. Are you Are all bets off? No. If they do that, then it's just all it is is uh, a warlike posture. A warlike posture, the president says. See, one of the ways that this president is different from so many other presidents on the Republican side, is that he understands the enemy. He understands what the other side plans to do here and how they're going to be playing the game. And he knows what he's in for here. I mean, they're going to go after his tax returns. They're going to go after everything. I mean, think about what they did to Kavanaugh, as I was telling you yesterday. Think about what they did to Kavanaugh. And now imagine that mentality of scorched earth, do anything Anything goes as long as it damages the intended target. And and now putting the house, and they've already been doing that to Trump, don't get me wrong, with the media and all the Democrat politicians who can. But now they'll have a legal mechanism for that harassment, the House of Representatives and subpoenas and the investigations that they'll be calling for. And it, it's going to be Soviet-style show trials from the, in the House for the next two years. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And Trump knows he's already digging his trench because we are heading for political trench warfare. We absolutely are. Um, by the way, to give you a sense of how crazy they're getting, here's Lawrence O'Donnell going crazy about this issue. Play 13. The Democratic House of Representatives 
will bring Robert Mueller to testify publicly about exactly how the acting attorney general has interfered with his investigation and the Democratic House of Representatives will move to impeach the president of the United States for obstruction of justice. They will do it. They will have to do it. They will have no choice. The new members of the House of Representatives will demand it and they will get it. Impeachment is real now. And so the president's panicked firing of his attorney general today has moved Donald Trump one step closer to impeachment. And the new Trump acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, will also be investigated by the Democratic House of Representatives for obstruction of justice if he interferes with the Mueller investigation in any way. Do you notice how he's talking about a whole series of events there as though they've happened? I mean, look, he's on MSNBC. It's wackoville. But he's talking about a whole series of events there as though it's happened. And then he goes, and yeah, if he does any of this, it'll, it, this is what will happen. Well, who's to say that Whitaker's going to do anything? Why would Whitaker do anything if, in fact, Mueller's got nothing? Which I firmly, strongly believe is the case. And I've talked to a lot of people that are as close as anybody can be to this investigation without being involved in it. Nothing. Don't you want Mueller then to just release his little report, talk about this, that, the Russian troll farms and all this stuff, and then let the Democrats go wild with it? But you see, the Democrats will seize on whatever's in that report to continue the investigation. It doesn't matter if, if at the end of the investigation, Mueller says... There was really nothing to this when it comes to the Trump campaign. There were some people who lied. There's some tax cheats and there's some Russian troll farms going on here. And Trump campaign has nothing to do with it. Democrats will say, thank you for that, Mueller. But we want to make sure that we agree with your assessment. So now let's start the whole thing all over again. And here's what you have to remember. You and I know that that's just nuts. You and I know that this is... Uh, a, a frighteningly irrational approach, but people that believe this stuff, people that think that the Trump administration really did collude with Russia, this is like a drug for them. They cannot get enough of this. They will just sit there and just want to hear more and more and more. You know, Rachel Maddow's show, from what I have seen of it, which I will admit is not that often, but, it, you know, for for months on end, it was just, you know, we have this really big thing to tell you about this way that somehow some guy does something involved with Russia that ties back to the Trump campaign through seven intermediaries and 10 unprovable hypotheses. We will show you that over the course. I mean, it's just, it was just nuts. I mean, and Maddow's actually smarter than thinking that this is any real, but her, she knows that her audience, like, this is why she's actually going to do pretty big ratings. Her audience wants to see this because ultimately what this is really about is that Trump is a fraud in that he's not really the president. That's what all the Russia collusion stuff is so popular with Democrats because for them, it's not enough to beat Trump in the next election, which, by the way, they have no chance of doing based on the team they've got lined up right now. None. But it's not enough to beat Trump. And it wouldn't even be enough for them to force Trump out of office, although that would make them very, very happy. But what they're trying to do is force Trump out of office and erase the idea of Trump ever having been president because it was all illegitimate. He's an illegitimate president to the left. That's that's what the narrative is, which is also why I keep telling you that, hello, Hillary, 
is not gone. She's not down and out. Her narrative for the Democrat mind makes sense. The only way they can set this right in 2020 for these leftists, if you're so, think about this, if you're so irrational that you really believe that there was this Kremlin conspiracy with Trump and all this, you know, if you believe that, you don't think it's irrational at all that Hillary could run again this time and win. You think, yeah, that probably that probably makes some good sense. That's probably a good idea. We should give that a shot. That's where the Democrats are on this. They are absolutely not countering. I mean, the polls show it. She's still in the top five contenders, I think, based on the most recent poll I saw. Definitely in the top ten. This woman who's run twice in the last two two uh, presidential elections can't can't win. Can't get it done. Or last two cycles, Democrats and Republicans. You know it. It just it really does drive me insane. By the way, speaking of how they uh, they do not accept reality and uh, and they're irrational, they're they're not they're not accepting. It's not just the 2016 election. Um, now we're heading into recount territory. It looks like in Florida. Now some of this is a, a function of of a state law. If you're in a certain you know if you're in a certain closeness, forty three thousand votes. Less than 43,000 is what the Democratic governor is behind right now. Um, but they're saying that this is, uh, you know, that this, they're, they're trying to basically get there to be a, you know, a way to tighten this up. By the way, Democrats cheat, okay? The, the, the race between Al Franken and Norm Coleman, there was cheating in that race. And that's how, that's how Al Franken actually won his Senate seat. I mean, they were, they, were finding, they were finding votes in the trunks of cars in the parking lot. I mean, it was just all, give me a break. And that was by, that was hundreds of votes that separated them. Don't think that this time around, Gillum and the people around him are unwilling to bend and even break the law if necessary to make him the governor of a a critical state for the 2020 election. They know that that Florida is a linchpin state for Trump. But, you know, there's already some irregularities that I want to bring to your attention, like, for example... It is a law in Florida that you have to, um, Florida law requires, this is from Marco Rubio today, that counties report early voting and vote by mail within 30 minutes after the polls close. 43 hours after the polls closed, two Democrat strongholds, Broward County and Palm Beach County, were still counting and refusing to disclose how many ballots they have left. This is stinky. Something very, very funky is going on here. And Democrats, as soon as they're away from you know, the public, uh, public attention here and they think they can get away with it, yeah, they will, they will steal this election. Every time that they did it, every way they counted the votes in Florida back in 2000, Bush v. Gore, Bush was always the winner. There was no way that they were able to, to, to do the recount and, and have Bush. But then what they want to do is, well, let's only recount some places and not others. Oh, that, that seems fair. I mean, the whole thing was preposterous. But remember, they thought that Bush didn't really win that election. These people are crybabies. I mean, there is a political culture of being sore losers and being hysterical crybabies on the left. And we're seeing it again. It was true in 2000. It's true now with the Gillum race. Just wait and see. Watch what happens with this one. Background checks are essential no matter how large or small your business. Every employee you bring in, you have to know that that's a person that you can trust 
And that's a person who has represented himself or herself accurately in every stage of the hiring process. You got to have someone doing your background checks and vetting. And that person should be Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran owned small business and all of their work is done here in the United States. Nothing is ever offshore. None of your data is ever sent to servers outside of the continental United States. A lot of the other guys in this space do that. Stay with a veteran-owned, all-American company, Global Verification Network, for your background investigations. Call 877-695-1179, 877-695-1179, or go to mygvn.com. Well, I can see a scenario where Jeff Sessions is replaced uh, with a recess appointment, and that attorney general doesn't fire Bob Mueller, but he just reduces his budget so low that his, his investigation grinds to a, almost a halt. <laughs> So that's Matt Whitaker on CNN here. People are freaking out on the left about this now that uh, Whitaker is, in fact, replacing Sessions as uh, interim attorney general. What does this mean for DOJ, for the Mueller special counsel, for the Russia collusion investigation, and all of these, these things that we've been talking about now for many, many months? We have somebody who can really shed a lot of light on this now. Sarah Carter is with us. She is a investigative journalist. SarahACarter.com is her site. You should go check it out. And also a Fox News contributor. My dear friend, Sarah, great to talk to you again. It's great to be on, Buck. So, Sarah, we're, 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 hearing a lot, we're hearing a lot of things about, well, all kinds of things when it comes to DOJ, Mueller, the Attorney General, everything else. Let's start first with, with you know, what, what are your sources telling you about when this thing is going to end and what whether Mueller is going to be dropping a report soon. Well, I, I'm going to get right to that. I just want to touch base on Matt Whitaker really quick. I think that, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric out there. This is political. Uh, there's this big political game as far as Matt Whitaker is concerned, and the Dems are taking advantage of that. I don't think there's anything to be worried about. Um, according to my sources, uh, Matt Whitaker is not going to get involved in Mueller's investigation. Now, as far as the special counsel, Robert Mueller, is concerned, sources are telling me that he is in the process with his team of writing the report. So that means he is either concluding his investigation, which may include uh, other indictments. Nobody knows. Uh, there's some suspicion that Roger Stone's wrapped up in it. Um, there have been a lot of rumors uh, out there in Vanity Fair and other places that uh, Don Jr. was concerned about a possible indictment. I did speak to sources very close uh, to Don Jr., and uh, they said that there's zero truth to any of those stories. There is no concern whatsoever. Um, I spoke to others who said, look, he's testified over and over again. He's given more than 26 or more than 25 hours of testimony. Um, there is nothing that he has to worry about or nothing that he's hiding. So everybody's anticipating Mueller's report wrapping up. Uh, one of the things we do know is that right now, and with Mueller's investigation, the Dems are now charging uh, and saying that they are going to open their own investigation um, once they take over the House uh, into President Trump and uh, Russia alleged Russia collusion. 
we don't know if that's just more smoke and mirrors or if they're really going to push forward with that. So there's very little time left, the Republicans feel, to really get uh, more witnesses on the stand uh, to basically deposition of people uh, for their own investigations. And they're really pushing hard to get the president to declassify the 302s, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Warrant, as well as the Gang of Eight uh, documents, the notebook that basically, uh, according to my sources, has all the evidence of the exculpatory evidence that was withheld from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Before I ask what you think might be in those documents, Sarah, and, and obviously, you know, getting your sense of how much of a uh, a game changer those could be is really important for folks. But but why hasn't the president, in your estimation, released it yet? Is he holding it back for strategic reasons? Is he holding it back because of pressure from the intel community? I mean, he, he could declassify them. He told me he was probably going to, but he hasn't yet. Why? I know this has been such a such a gut wrenching issue for the people involved in the investigation, because remember, at one point, the president did say um, that he was it wasn't too long ago, over a month ago, that he did say we are going to declassify these documents. I remember talking to sources on Capitol Hill who were so finally relieved um, and elated that the American public would now have a good look at what some only a few of them with with the, uh, you know, with the security clearance have seen and that they would be able to share that with the public and expose what they believed was extraordinary malfeasance on part of the FBI and some members of the DOJ. And then the very next day, the president then stopped. This was in September. The very next day tweeted out that he was no longer going to declassify those at this time, that he was turning them over to Michael Horowitz for review. And apparently what happened was that in between that time, in between the time he suggested he was going to release them, uh, he had a meeting with uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and there was pressure on the president. Uh, they had basically said, well, if you if you declassify these documents now, you're going to be affecting the Russia probe. And uh, this could be very damaging. Um, that's, uh, you know, people have always warned him about obstruction. Uh, I think the president realized that once again, they were pushing on him like they had in the past, playing on him. You know, they were and remember the documents that he had declassified before regarding Carter Page and the FISA and some other documents that he had declassified. They were trying to say they were trying to actually scare the White House and say, look, this is going to reveal sources and methods. Uh, this could be very dangerous to our national security. And then when he did it, there was nothing in there as far as sources and methods. And remember, parts of these documents can be redacted. Um, if they do reveal a name or sources and methods. So they're not saying to redact everything. They're just saying on the bulk of it, redact it. We want people to know what evidence was withheld from the court. Part of that exculpatory evidence, which was part of your question, Buck, is regarding, um, you know, uh, George Papadopoulos uh, from my sources. Um, apparently, and uh, George Papadopoulos has talked about this openly, he had told the FBI uh, during uh, a meeting, I guess, uh, that he had had with Stefan Halper. And I think everybody remembers Stefan Halper, the professor who was actually the spy for the FBI, that he had told him early on, uh, and he believed Stefan Halper was recording him, uh, that in no way, shape, or form was the campaign actually colluding with Russia, that that would be treasonous. He said he had told Stefan Halper that over and over again in their private conversations. And at that point, he had no idea that Stefan Halper was working for the FBI, but he became suspicious that he was actually recording those conversations because of the position that he put his iPhone in. And he became very suspicious that Stefan Halper 
in general. So there is a belief that 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 was actually recorded and that the FBI had that and did not turn it over to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, uh, instead allowed the surveillance court to believe that there was suspicion and reason to believe that uh, the Trump campaign was colluding with Russia. That's astonishing. I mean, Sarah, yeah. what, what are what are people, you know, that w- when you're talking to them about what may be in that this final Mueller report, what are they saying about that? I mean, I know that, you know, we won't really know until we know, but there are, there are people it. that must be close enough to have some idea of what what Mueller's going to say or, or at least going to going to address. Well, you're right. Nobody really knows what Mueller is going to actually put in that report because Mueller and his team have been very tight about this, particularly in the last few months. But this is talking now to Republican lawmakers and people who are very close uh, to this investigation who believe that what Mueller's going to do is he's going to play a big hand here, right? He has to show that he did something here beyond just the very process laws that he that he got people on. Process lies, I mean, that maybe one count of lying, George Papadopoulos, one count of lying, Mike Flynn, um, old uh, uh, cases against Paul Manafort, you know, on tax and bank fraud and the Michael Cohen stuff. But what but what people suspect is that Mueller's going to put in there, he's going to allude to the fact that there were all these possible connections, but that they could never actually get solid evidence uh, to move it in that direction. Then he's definitely going to talk about the Russians. Remember, he indicted, I think it was um, more than 12 GRU agents and some other Russians, uh, which will never come to justice because the Russians will never send them here to face trial. And so they'll never come back to the United States. So he'll talk about that. He'll talk about Russia's involvement in there as far as like the Facebook ads that they posted um, and uh, and why he went after these companies. So I think what we're going to see is um, either a very political report that's going to kind of allude to things that will uh, give some fodder to the Democrats, or maybe he'll play it straight up. Maybe he'll just write out the report exactly as we've seen with the indictments, and then he'll just wrap it up. I can't see Mueller going much further than this, and I have been hearing um, from sources uh, even uh, it, uh, today on Capitol Hill that even there's a possibility that the Democrats on the Senate side and the Republicans on the Senate side are going to wrap up the Senate investigation by December. So it looks like some people want to just get this over with, put this behind us, let us move forward. Uh, the House Democrats, of course, don't want to do that, but there's a lot of people that want to see the country move forward because they have found no evidence, absolutely no evidence of collusion between the President uh, the president uh, Donald Trump's campaign and, and Russia. Last one for you, sir. Do we, do we have some real sense yet of when Mueller is going to wrap up? I mean, I, I know not, we don't know the day, Maybe not even the week, but do we know the do we know the likely month, or is it still completely up in the air? I think it's still completely up in the air. We're hearing a lot of guesstimates. I know people said as soon as the midterm elections were over that something could be coming down the pike from Mueller. So it could have been, you know, some people were even suspecting Wednesday. They were suspecting yesterday, you know, that that something would come down. I think that what we're going to see is he's going to go through that report. He's going to review the report thoroughly. He probably has to brief a number of people on the report. And remember, we're still waiting to see whether or not that report will actually be made public 
whether he'll have two reports is what we're hearing, you know, a classified version of the report and an unclassified version of the report, which will be uh, given to the public. So I think we got to give it just a little bit of time. But remember, it could come out any time because Mueller has been very tight-lipped about this and his team, they don't really want to jump the gun. I, I, I think people are really afraid of, of leaks right now in Washington because this is so highly sensitive. So I Obviously, we know it could be any time. We do know that they're in the process of writing it or they're wrapping up the final touches on this report. So any time now we could be seeing it. But I don't want to I don't want to tell the listeners, oh, yeah, it'll be this week or it'll be by the end of the month because we could be surprised. It could be another four weeks before we see it. I doubt it, but it could be. Sarah Carter, investigative journalist, Fox News contributor. Sarah, great to talk to you. Thanks for all your work on this and come back soon. I will. Thanks, Buck. We got more on uh, where the whole DOJ, Attorney General Sessions, Mueller probe fiasco, all that stuff is going. So stay right there, team. Well, those uh, previous comments uh, are not uh, recusable comments. Uh, Mr. Whitaker is a fine person. Uh, he is completely independent. Uh, he knows about the administration of this particular case. I am delighted that supervision of this case has been taken away from Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein in light of his conduct, and I think that Mr. Whitaker will handle this fine. The Democrats are doing what they always do. When they don't have anything else, they just start screaming and yelling. This is an embarrassment to them, but it's going to continue, and Mr. Whitaker is going to be just fine. I keep hearing that Whitaker should recuse himself, right, the new acting attorney general. I keep hearing he should recuse himself, and then I never get a real answer as to why, and certainly not a compelling answer as to why. They like Rosenstein, we know that. Rosenstein is a, an Obama appointee. He's cozy with some of these people that were problems at DOJ, like the Sally Yates of the world and others. You know, R Rosenstein's a guy who the left, the left thinks that, you know, when push comes to shove, Rosenstein wants to shove the Trump administration under the bus, so to speak. That's why they like him. It's not because he's defending our democracy or anything else. They think that he's essentially a deep state them. So they like it when the ideology skews to their side. But when there's just a guy who might be a little bit conservative, they've got big problems with it. But I turn to the very fair-minded and astute and highly well-informed on this issue, our friend Andy McCarthy, and what he says about this. Play clip 10. He didn't say anything uh, that was in the nature of recusable commentary. He didn't make any prejudgments about the investigation. He didn't say anything to denigrate what Mueller is up to. And what I find fascinating, and I, I'm not casting aspersions, I want to be clear, on uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein's uh, ethics, uh, but I haven't heard any of these guys complaining that Rosenstein is overseeing this investigation, notwithstanding that Mueller is investigating supposedly Trump for obstructing the investigation by firing Comey, a transaction in which Rosenstein is a key player. So if there's anybody in this equation that has a screaming conflict of interest, it's Rod Rosenstein. And I haven't heard these guys say a word about that. I mean, Andy just hits it out of the park here. Let's start with his second point first. If anybody should be recusing themselves from the Russia collusion investigation, which does deal with the firing of James Comey, 
as we've been told. Shouldn't it be the guy who wrote the memo that was used to fire James Comey? How, how is that okay? I mean, if we're really talking about conflicts of interest, Rosenstein has a massive conflict of interest. But you see, the left adopts the language of principles and ethics only when it suits them. And that's why they love to talk about recusal, because recusal is a gray area often in the in it's not even really in the law. It's it's in the ethics of either judges or in this case, Department of Justice protocol. And they figure if they can create enough noise and enough public pressure, they can get their way on this. That's what they're hoping for. That's the way that they're planning for this whole thing to go. But it's nonsense. Rosenstein has much bigger conflicts, much bigger issues to deal with here than anything that you could say about Whitaker right now. And and then on that point, as Andy was saying, and as I have been saying, all that they, they keep pointing to about Whitaker for why he should recuse himself is, oh, because he said that they shouldn't go after Trump's finances. Nobody thinks that they should go after Trump's finances. No one has been willing to, who knows anything about this and who's involved in the process, at least, will say, yeah, we have a completely open-ended investigation. Our mandate is whatever the heck we say it is at the special counsel's office. Nobody will say that. And anyone who says, well, why is he so nervous about his finances? When you have massive international financial transactions going on, if somebody really wants to go through them and and, and they're desperate to find some impropriety, they can find something. Just like if somebody really wants to go after your taxes and drill down into them, they will find problems and they will make your life a living hell. We all know this, but the left pretends that they don't. The left goes into a very convenient amnesia on this stuff. Oh, I don't know about the IRS being scary this way. There's really nothing to all this noise from the left, all this whining that you are hearing about how there needs to be a recusal. No, they just want someone that they have identified as pretty hostile to Trump, Rosenstein, to be in a position to run cover for Mueller, whatever Mueller decides to do. I mean, what do they really think this is going to accomplish, putting Whitaker in charge? If Whitaker were to do anything that was legitimately unethical toward either Rosenstein or, in this case, more likely, Mueller himself, we would hear about it. They'd go to the press in a heartbeat. We know this. So this is just all hysteria. Once again, it's hysteria from the left. They are they are trying to create so much out of nothing because ultimately I think a lot of them do realize that the Mueller probe's got it's got nothing. You know what they're gonna say, by the way, when the Mueller probe's got nothing? What about all the Russia bot farm indictments? Oh yeah, that's that's what this was all about. Finding out that there were some fake Facebook accounts run out of an office somewhere in Russia that were supposed to sway our election. Only idiots believe this. We have identified the suspect. Uh, approximately an hour ago, the suspect was identified as Ian David Long, I-A-N, David Long, a birth date of March 27th, 1990. He was 28 years old. Uh, we've had several contacts with Mr. Long over the years, minor events, such a traffic collision. He was a victim of a battery at a local bar in 2015. In April of this year, deputies were called to his house uh, for a subject disturbing. They went to the house. They talked to him. 
Uh, he was he was somewhat irate, acting a, a little irrationally. They called out our crisis intervention team, our mental health specialist, who met with him, talked to him, and cleared him. Didn't feel that he was qualified to be taken under 5150, and he was left at, at that scene last April. So this was this terrible shooting that killed 12 people out in California. They they had the uh, sheriff there identifying the deceased uh, suspect, the shooter here. I think we're all quite clear on who he is and what he did. This was at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks, California. The uh, shooter apparently took his own life after opening fire in a, in a bar. He threw some smoke grenades in there. He had a forty five caliber Glock 21 handgun and had an illegal extended magazine on it. And this was uh, country music, uh, country music night um, at this bar. A lot of a lot of college kids there. Uh, this is, it's just so sad. It's so the whole thing is is honestly so horrific and and depressing. It really is beyond words. Um, you have an instance here where the the shooter, this guy Ian David Long, they kept calling him Ian. I don't know if maybe that's how he pronounces it, but. The shooter, this guy David Long, uh, went in and had clearly thought this through beforehand and was just trying to kill as many people as possible. He shot security and employees first. The security guard, though, who was on site was unarmed. And there were also off-duty police officers there, uh, apparently, who were also not armed. Um, Nobody on premises was armed. And... This guy was able to shoot and shoot, and then a a, a sheriff sergeant who had been on the force for 29 years arrived on the scene, and as he entered the bar, he went in there, he answered the call, went in to save lives. The shooter engaged him, shot him, and killed him. Uh, A patrol officer was with the sheriff sergeant and uh, dragged him out of the bar after he had been shot numerous times, but it wasn't enough to... They were not able to save his life. Uh, yeah, six off-duty officers were at the bar uh, that night. And now those off-duty officers apparently shielded some of the young people, some of the young women uh, and men who were there with their bodies and showed tremendous bravery. And it is a reminder of what our law enforcement does and the risk that they take day in and day out. Here's the, here's the sheriff, Jeff Dean, um, talking about what went on here. Post the Columbine shooting, how we approach active shooters changed completely. Instead of waiting and surrounding and bringing our SWAT team, uh, the the officers are to immediately engage and try to stop the target and and stop the killing. And that's exactly what happened here. There's no doubt that they saved lives by going in there and engaging with the suspect. Who knows? Who who knows? There was we don't know how many people there. I've heard anywhere from 150 to 200 people in there. So this, not that by any means the loss of. 13 lives is good, but it could have been much, much worse. So there was 13 lives lost here, including that officer. Uh, but the officers engaged. The officers went in there. Uh, and it is, it is a reminder that law enforcement takes these kinds of risks and steps up and puts themselves in harm's way. And at the end of the day, and I knew this from every guy at the MY and gal at the NYPD I worked with, you know, they want to go home at the end of the day too. You know, they, they're, they're not trying to be heroes. They're just trying to protect innocent people and make sure that everybody else uh, gets home. 
Uh, and it's just, it's, uh, it really is a heartbreaking situation. I've, immediately it turns into all this, all this call for uh, gun control. We have, the, we have the same debate, the same argument, over and over again, every time when one of these things happens. Um, just, just so we can run through what is true of California. Remember, this occurred in California. Just so we could run through what is true in California about all this right now. Because um, people are saying, oh, well, we need to have more restrictions. Okay, California is a may-issue state, which means that they don't have to give you a firearm just if you pass the basic criteria of not being a criminal or a prohibited possessor. California has a uh, has purchase limitations, has a 10-day waiting period, no reciprocity with other states, bans assault weapons or registers them, um, and you have to get your ammo through a firearms dealer. And you have to have registration for your firearm again if you move. And has, and has universal background checks. Everything that liberals want when it comes to gun control, with, without just an outright ban, California has. I mean, all the things that I hear about. All the things they talk about that they want nationwide, California has. It didn't stop this shooting. So so now it didn't stop this shooting, but we're told that we have to take into account these recommendations to stop the next shooting. Why? If it didn't stop this one, what makes anyone think it would stop the next one? Why are we supposed to believe that that will fix anything? And of course, it would be infringing even further on a constitutionally protected right. And I know people get angry when you say, well, more guns would not be the answer. Well, I got to tell you, if one of those off-duty officers or if, if security actually had a firearm, then there would have a chance. There was no chance for anybody in that facility. None. No chance that they could have stopped this until law enforcement arrived. Apparently, this individual who was a former Marine was pretty handy with changing out his magazines as well. So the extended magazine that he had was obviously able to increase his lethality, but even without that extended magazine, which was illegal in the state of California, that didn't stop him. He broke all kinds of laws to do this. And now the response that we're, the response to this we're told is supposed to be, let's add some more laws onto things. All those laws will do is get people who have an extended magazine at the firing range arrested. It's not going to stop a mass shooter. Never has, never will. As I've told you, and it's, something we always have to keep in mind. The debate over gun control is largely about the emotional reaction the left-wing base has to it, and also it's really a proxy battle between the culture of the left and the right in this country. They, yeah, we all abhor violence. We all are heartbroken by what happened to these 13 people in California. It's terrible. We wish there was a way that it could have been stopped or prevented. But we also know we live in a country of 320 million people, and there are a lot of deranged individuals out there, some of them very, very dangerously so. This guy had gotten a visit, by the way, from the authorities because his mother, who he's living with, or I believe he's living with her, uh, was spending a lot of, you know, he was a concern. He clearly had, had issues. Now they're saying he served in Afghanistan, he might have had PTSD. I understand why there's a lot of sensitivity about that when people bring that up because... A, a very considerable percentage of combat veterans have some form of PTSD and they are to be honored 
and and help through anything that they need by the American people, not to be in any way ostracized, shunned, or treated any differently because of their PTSD. The human mind is not meant to day in and day out have to have the fear of mortar rounds landing next to you, insider attacks, you know, somebody coming up behind you in your sleep with an AK-47. I mean, that, the human brain is not meant to handle that. And the fact that we have so many Americans who do such an incredible and admirable job in the field, on the front lines of dealing with that, both in those combat zones and then when they come home, that's the real narrative. That's the real story. So I, I understand why people get very touchy about, oh, well, he's a veteran with PTSD. So, no, he was a crazy person. He was a crazy person. And there are people that are crazy who are just civilians. And, of course, there are also people who are crazy who have served in the military, too. you got millions of people who have served in the military in the last, well, millions are currently serving, and many millions more have served. So they're, they're going to be people. Just like in any police force that's large enough, you're going to have uh, some, some bad actors. So they're politicizing this right away, and we know that that always happens. There's this rush to make it about gun control on, on Twitter and on Facebook, and everyone's yelling at each other over it. The only chance there really was to prevent this involved mental health laws and involuntary commitment, which the sheriff mentioned there, and they thought they didn't have enough to commit him involuntarily. It's not an easy thing. When we talk about the mental health issues here, it's not easy to determine when you're going to take away somebody's autonomy. That's right. You're taking away their freedom when you're talking about involuntary commitment. That's a big deal. That's not a, a, a minor thing that, you know, you can just figure, okay, well, you know, we're just going to make some mistakes here. No, you, you've got to, you better be darn sure you get that one right. If you're going to take away somebody's freedom, you better be darn sure about that. So I think that's another important component of this discussion, that the only way to stop this would involve mental health laws in California, and they weren't able to commit him. They had they had somebody meet with them who's a psychologist, psychiatrist, and they said, no, he doesn't have to, he doesn't pose enough of a danger. He can't involuntarily commit him. It's not easy to craft the laws to handle that, my friends. President has said some things that people want to act on, and um, I I. I have governed myself accordingly. I'm protecting myself and my family. Let's say that. I know a lot of people on that list and a lot of people we are kind of talking to each other. Um, just making sure each other, we're, we're taking care of ourselves and each other. And I'm not going to give a name, but someone who was at the press conference yesterday who was a target um, of the venom from the podium, I discussed it um, with them and said, you know, protect yourself and be aware of the climate and watch yourself now. You're now a target. So that is April Ryan there, who's talking about how the media now feels, once again, anytime Trump calls out Acosta or anyone else, the media is always, they're always the victims here, always the victims in this. Their, their behavior is never the problem, and it's always that they, we, we should be worried and, and concerned about them, uh, even though, as we know, the only person yesterday that really needed to be worried was Tucker Carlson's wife, that a bunch of left-wing maniacs were, surrounding and harassing in her home and threatening her. But, you know, we're, we're supposed to think that the media are the real, real victims here. This all comes from that Acosta exchange yesterday. I, I just want to uh, tell you about this, this thread that I came across today by Arthur Schwartz. Uh, I don't really know Arthur Schwartz. He's a, he's a blue-check journalist guy. But he had this thread today that I really just 
it really really hit the mark for me. He talked about when a Daily Caller reporter, you may remember this, kind of shouted out a question to Obama. This wasn't the you lie thing at the at the State of the Union address. That's very that's a different thing. This is a Daily Caller reporter asked a question to Obama that people thought was a little too aggressive. Oh my gosh, he's being aggressive with Obama. How could he? Here's what Schwartz wrote. Remember when a conservative reporter interrupted and heckled President Obama? Let's see how the media and politicos reacted then. Kicking it off with Chris Saliza of CNN. He wrote, Neil Monroe, who is the Daily Caller reporter who asked the question, random Neil Monroe, guy who interrupted Obama. Fact, he and I worked together at National Journal way back when. Uh, Okay, and then he wrote, next up, Politico. Obama's remarks interrupted by Neil Monroe of the Daily Caller. Uh, Okay, so you can't shout questions, apparently, if Obama's the one. And then Kevin Kate wrote, future Hannity headline, Obama interrupts great American Neil Monroe. These are all journalists, folks. These are all, like, you know, people with blue checks. CNN politics, their official account here. Neil Monroe of the Daily Caller interrupted President Obama during his announcements, according to CNN's Brianna Keeler or Brie Keeler, or whatever her name is. ABC News, Obama interrupted by heckler Neil Monroe during Rose Garden announcement. That's right, folks, now he's not just the interrupter, now he's a heckler. Tony Norman, these are all verified journalists, okay? Tony Norman, Daily Call reporter Neil Monroe turned himself into an instant punchline by heckling President Obama today. Even Fox News is outraged. Stephen Portnoy, Official White House transcript quotes Monroe is telling the president, no, you have to take questions. Obama said, not while I'm speaking. Then here's the actual White House transcript. Excuse me, sir, it's not time for questions, sir. Monroe, no, you have to take questions. Obama, not while I'm speaking. Um, And then, I mean, you just go through all this, folks, and you, you see the very different tone Somebody asked Obama a question that Obama didn't want to answer, and it was a it was a scandal against journalism. How dare he? The interrupter, the heckler at the Daily Caller, Neil Monroe. This is just yet another instance of why we just don't want to hear it from the Lib journos anymore. We we know that they they weren't honest about this. They weren't honest about the Obama administration. They weren't a check on power. They were cheerleaders, embarrassing cheerleaders for the Obama administration. Even when the Obama administration was doing surveillance with the Department of Justice on a reporter at Fox News, of course, the one outlet that was willing to criticize the Obama administration in a meaningful way. A bunch of weenies over at CNN. and like, oh, we would call the president out. Oh, please, clowns. No, you didn't. It was the Obama fan network over at CNN for eight years. It's an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment. And you look at what they were willing to cover up. Obama's foreign policy, embarrassing. Obama's ability to manage the economy, embarrassing. Obama's honesty about Obamacare, embarrassing. I mean, you go down the line. It's just all treated so differently. And and they expect that we won't remember this. They expect that somehow we will just believe whatever they tell us to believe on these issues. And at the end of the day, I think it really is incumbent upon all of us to say enough is enough. I I am not going to sit around and be lectured anymore by these journos 
about civility and process and the First Amendment and the, the need to respect norms when they're just using it as a partisan cudgel against this president, when they just view their day in and day out as an excuse to play politics. They need to be called out. It is a function of truth and honor to call them out on this. No matter how much they whine, no matter how much they complain, that is what we need to do. Just a few minutes before I uh, came on air here, team, you know what I did? I posted on snippy.com. You might have heard me talk about it, but you need to go back and check it out again. Snippy.com is a new social media site, and thousands of my listeners have already joined, and they're expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversations. Snippy.com is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. And Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. It's a place where everyone is free to express their thoughts and share their opinions. Totally free to join, open to everyone. Join us at snippy.com. Again, that's S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. And let your opinion matter. No shadow banning, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Now with an updated user interface and exciting new features, also available in the Apple App Store and available for Android, Snippy, your new alternative social media. What does Trump derangement syndrome do to people? It's a question certainly worth asking, considering that now we have prominent members of the media, conservatives, who have mobs waiting for them at their homes, threatening them and their, their families, their wives, their children. So how did we get to this point? How did the left become so crazy? There was an essay that was making the rounds this week in Mary Claire that I think is a window into the deranged leftist female anti-Trump mind that's worth spending a couple of moments on here. The Trump administration, this is by a woman named Lisa Milbrand, uh, the Trump administration has me worried about my daughter's future, she writes. I'm going to read to you some of this, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this one together, because it, like I said, this if you want to understand why is it that there are these women who will march in D.C. with these pink hats on, act like maniacs, talk about how Kavanaugh is guilty, even though there was not just no evidence against him, but all the evidence pointed that he, in the direction of his complete innocence. What, is, what, what do these people think about other things, and, and how do they view the current moment? How does the radical feminist left view Trumpism right now? This piece is a pretty good overview of it. Quote, Our daughters came home from China more than a decade ago. The first time their tiny feet touched American soil, we made a big deal of it. We were so happy about everything they'd inherit as newly minted Americans, our already head-over-heels love for them, every opportunity we could afford, and freedom from China's oppressive government, and it's now controversial and now somewhat lifted one-child policy. The same policy that was most likely the very reason they were able to join our family. But now I worry that we made a tragic mistake. I pulled those two beautiful babies away from a rising power and into a damaged democracy. I brought two girls of color into a society where it is clear that their word and their bodies are worth less than a man's and where open, overt racism has become even more likely now than it was a decade ago. And unfortunately, my worries aren't exactly tinfoil hat-wearing paranoia, end quote. Well, 
fortunately, they are tinfoil hat paranoia. But let's just take a step back. This is a woman who adopted two Chinese babies and is now saying that she might have made a mistake in taking them from China. First of all, wow, on on so many levels. Um, The notion that somebody could live in this country and think that any, you know, live in this country with its freedoms and its its rights and its constitutional order, and yes, even its its culture of liberty and and decency and, and and love of country and honor and you know these are all fundamental American concepts. These are very different. It's very different in China. Uh, you know, individual liberty is not a thing. Uh, the state acting in a way that respects individual life and dignity is not really a thing. Uh, You know, China is a scary place. You get on the wrong side of that government, you're done. Yes, it has a lot of shiny new buildings and these massive cities, and uh, I understand, right? China is an economic dynamo, and the economy is huge now, but to think that because of Trump, that's what this is all about, because of Trump, a baby would be better now growing up in China than, than America is just so bizarre and, and shows such a flawed and, and, you know, deeply scarred mind. It's, it's, just, it's just beyond any normal person's understanding, but this is where we are now. And she goes into even greater detail here about how she's worried that you know trump is going to roll back roe v wade and this is what's so essential for her girls and their bodies and everything else uh and their bodies Uh, it's crazy she even says this quote i i'm thinking of stockpiling plan b pills just in case my daughter's right to choose what happens to their bodies disappears And the irony isn't lost on me that just as China started to loosen up its one-child policy and allow women more control over their decision to become a mother, my daughters may lose the right to choose here. Uh, China has engaged in forced abortion and forced sterilization on a scale of tens of millions over decades. Uh, a, A wholesale slaughter of the unborn at the mandate of the state. And she compares that to America where... Yeah, you still do have the right, unfortunately, and to our everlasting shame to terminate a pregnancy for all nine months of the pregnancy. But the suggestion that somehow China and America are on the same moral plane here, or rather that because America may become more moral in that it might at least limit abortion in some meaningful ways, perhaps even eliminate it at some point in the future, and therefore China is a better place, just shows you that's a perversion of morality. This woman is unable to understand this, but that is a perversion of morality. She is uh, deeply incorrect and obviously very, very troubled. She writes, And so I fight and I protest. I plan and protect. Like many of my fellow adoptive parents, I ordered a passport card for my teen so she could prove her citizenship wherever she went. I double and triple checked our paperwork and started hunting for a lawyer to do pricey readoptions so we could add a security blanket layer of paper proof for our girls. And then I worry that a sheaf of paper can be invalidated with a stroke of a pen and the government's brutal separation of child immigrants from their parents isn't exactly inspiring confidence. This is just hysteria, folks. This is somebody who is publishing an essay about it. She's worried that Trump is going to 
take her legally adopted children from her because they are non-American. I find this kind of thinking not only scary because it's so wrong and, and so it's so delusional, but also does she really think that her fellow Americans would allow that? Does she really think that people like you and me would stand idly by and, and would support an administration that would say, well, you legally adopted children from abroad. Those are your children. You were an adoptive, uh, adopted parent or you are adoptive parents. And, and now the government, because they're not, they're not born in this country. So does that mean that they really think Trump is going to take all green card holders and all, uh, all, all new citizens that the country has made in recent years and, and deport them? Why? Because the anchor baby issue has come up. Well, anchor babies are people that have done it illegally. What, what do they not understand? If I walk into a store and I take a jacket and I give somebody money for that jacket that they have requested, that is a legal transaction. I'm still walking out of there with that jacket. If I walk into a store and I take a jacket and I don't pay for it, yeah, I've taken the jacket. It's the same act on my part, but it is illegal and will be treated very, very differently. By the way, will that store go out of business because I took that jacket? No. Will that big company that probably made that jacket go out of business because I stole that jacket? No. So why ruin, why ruin my day, maybe even my future, over one act of shoplifting, over one theft, right? Well, you can play this game with anything. You know, if it, does, if it doesn't really imminently and, and dramatically impact somebody as a victim right away, what's the big deal, man? Oh, that's right. We live in a society of laws. And we treat things differently based upon the way the law prescribes their treatment. But then this is the craziest part of this. I mean, I've already taken you down a pretty incredible path here, but this is the craziest part. She writes, quote, I skip my daughter's soccer games to march and spend my nights volunteering to get out the vote. I divert money from their college funds toward campaigns that might help save our democracy. And on the very worst days, I start to look at what it would take to leave the country that I love permanently. What the heck is wrong with this person? Go to your daughter's soccer games, man. Nobody cares that you're like, you know, licking stamps and envelopes for, you know, the Elizabeth Warren campaign. Like, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. And this is where I start to get very concerned about the, about the future of this country. And I, and I mean that. When you have tens of millions of people, you know, roughly, let's call it 20 or 30 percent of the country that is so insanely anti-Trump that they lose sight of everything that's important, that they lose all sense of perspective. That's a, a, a danger to our way of life, really. Because how do you reason with these people? You're, you're, you're diverting money from your own children's college funds to pay, to, to throw money at politicians to, quote, save our democracy? Uh, this woman is just being conned by all these left-wing charlatans. I mean, she's just a fool. But foolishness on a mass scale can be dangerous. Anti-Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. It's a real condition. And this woman writing in Mary Claire has laid out for you what some of the symptoms are. When you will put left-wing progressive causes over your own children, over your own family and, and the happiness of your day-to-day -day life, 
And I mean causes like global warming or you know saving our democracy. These ephemeral, who gives a crap? What are you even talking about? You've lost perspective, lefties. When you've done this stuff, you really have caused problems for yourselves. And it's time that we finally all look at them and say, hey, you are our fellow Americans, like it or not. Try to just chill out a little bit. I, I repeat, people on the left need to stop being so crazy. On the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying that the president... I don't know why you'd that say that. Pres- That's such a racist There question. are some people that say that no. now the Republican Party is seen as supporting white nationalists oh, because of your rhetoric. What do you that. make of that? I don't believe it. I just, well, I don't know. Why do I have my highest poll numbers ever with African Americans? I love our country. I do. You call, you have nationalists, you have globalists. I also love the world. And I don't mind helping the world, but we have to straighten out our country first. That passes for a question among the liberal journos these days. That's, you know, Mr. President, are are you essentially a neo-Nazi? Just just want to ask, are, are, are you a neo-Nazi? Because, you know, the American people need to know. They think that you give comfort to white nationalists. They are driving such a wedge in into the uh, center of this country politically. I mean, they are creating so much ill will with this stuff. We are really all tired of being called racist. And they they just don't get it, okay? They just don't get it. It's pathetic. It's boring. It's not true. It's a slander. Stop. Stop running around lefties and saying every everybody that disagrees with you is racist. Everyone's so racist. Oh, and then turn around and say, oh, you're you're celebrating how much less white the country is getting all the time. That that's on the left celebrated as inherently a good thing. I, I like to think that I'm 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 neutral on the topic. I, I just want rule of law and American culture and political society to, to thrive and I'm not sitting here looking at, oh, well, you know, we need the country to be less white. I don't also want the country to be more white. I just don't think about it in those ways. Why is it that the left is always doing this, though? Just going at this issue. It reminds me of what CNN was up to during Black Lives Matter. Right? They, they would just use issues of race, inflame racial tensions as much as they possibly could, and then say, oh gosh, look at how much tension there is in race issues. It's tiresome. And you even hear it now in the aftermath of these elections where you had so many, you have so many minority candidates that received just glowing and in many cases pretty, you know, excessive praise. I mean, in the case of like Gillum, for example, I mean, the guy's, what's so impressive about Gillum? Ah, they say he's impressive. Okay, fine. But, you know, his resume is not something that anybody would say, oh, it's amazing, right? But look, I get it. He's charismatic. They kind of like him fine. They can tell whatever stories they want. But you know they, they they receive millions and millions of votes, and then when they don't when when some of these candidates that the media like so much don't win, what do they do? What do they turn around and say? Oh, it's it's uh, it's about racism. Play uh, play five. Right, and I, I think for many progressives in places like Florida and Georgia, they'll be they'll be incredibly disappointed, and they'll be giving their white neighbors the hairy eyeball tomorrow. Right. <laughs> That's right. Blame white people. This is this was common. I told you about this yesterday. Blame white women. 
In fact, I heard from a friend of mine who was at the Gillum uh, rally, or not really rally, it was kind of the headquarters for the event the night, that there was talk about, you know, making jokes about uh, Becky with the good hair, which some of you will understand that reference, uh, about white women. And, and she said it was uh, pretty uncomfortable, actually, that this was something that was being spouted at a, at a political rally for a major statewide candidate in a, in a huge U.S. state. So, you know, we're always being told that we're, we're racist. We're never told why. And when I mean we, I just mean anyone who votes for Trump. Meanwhile, the left is saying, oh, isn't it so great? The country's getting less and less white all the time. We look at them like, why is that? Are we all supposed to be, that, that's supposed to make us happy? Why aren't we just neutral on that subject? Like I said, with the country's more white or less white, that's, this is not something that we should be shooting for one way or the other. The country just is what it is. We have, we have laws and it seems very strange to me, but but they will MSNBC. They they openly embrace the decline of white America, and then they turn around and then they say, you know, what, why are you being so touchy, white America? You know, why don't you vote for every celebrated minority political candidate based on their skin color? You know, we sit around and say, okay, well, when we put up, you know, whether it's Alan West or. Dr. Ben Carson, or you know, you, you put up these different Republican minority candidates, and we're told that they don't count, which is, you want to talk about racist. What the heck is that? But you're seeing so much of it, and it, it's just going to get, it's going to get so much worse. It's going to get so much uglier because of two things. One, this is an idiot's way to feel like they're winning an argument. Just call everybody who disagrees with you racist. The left loves to do this. It's the idiot's way through an argument, and they know it, and they love to do it. Okay, so that's one part. That's one piece of this. And then the other is it does drive ratings. I mean, whenever they can do a story that that deals with race and they can inflame racial tensions, the media knows they can get people to tune in. They can get people to watch. They don't care how destructive it is. They don't care how nasty they are being in the process. And I appreciate that Trump doesn't back down on any of this stuff. Trump is not a white nationalist. Nationalism existed before the notion of white nationalism had even ever been discussed. Nationalism, as we know, is about the nation-state and one's support for a nation over other nations. It has, in certain contexts, a bad connotation. But, you know, depending on who you talk to, you know, patriotism, patriot groups were singled out for additional IRS scrutiny. Anything with patriot in the name was a problem under the Obama administration's IRS. So patriotism in the, in the wrong context, they'll even say is bad, right? Patriotism can scare them. You say, oh, I, I belong to a, a patriot group out in the Midwest or something, all of a sudden, oh, what do you mean patriot group? Well, patriots just want to love this country, right? They're playing games here, folks. They're, they're being dishonest because that is what they do. That is what they've been taught. That is how the left operates. But I, I just know that the ugliness over issues of race is only going to intensify, and it breaks my heart. In the quixotic battle against old age, some people use skincare and spin class. That is not enough for Emil Rattelband, a 69-year-old who feels like he's in his 40s. The Dutch pensioner is asking a court in his hometown of Arnhem, southeast of Amsterdam, 
to change his birth certificate so that it says he took his first breath on March 11, 1969, rather than on March 11, 1949. The judges heard his case Monday and promised they would render a verdict in the next several weeks. Folks, here we are. I I mentioned this to you yesterday. I, I love this, man. I mean, this is just this is just great. Uh, we've been saying for a while, if if you can tell me that gender is a spectrum and that there's no defining physical characteristics of gender, then you have to apply the same logic to race. And the left hates this because that brings down this whole construct, this whole edifice of intersectional uh, and intersectionality, uh, intersectional race relations, which is just all about oppression dynamics between the different races. So if you can just change your race at will, well, then that puts a whole lot of pressure on the concept of oppression based on race. But what? It, why can't you change your age in this way, by the way? Hey, John, let me if, if you got to just wake up tomorrow and you could be any age, what would you be? Let me ask you that one. What would you be tomorrow? You wake up because I, I I wouldn't yeah, want to be a teenager again. Being a teenager sucked. What would you want to be? Are you just not going to answer my question? Are you are you straight up ignoring? Wow, my own team. This is what happens, folks. You know, Buck, can you hear me? No, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> I was saying I'd be eighteen again. Oh, you go eighteen? Okay, no, we we did but not. But that would have to job. be reality, not just in my mind, because then I'd be crazy. No, the, well, yeah, then you'd be a creepster. No, no, no. I mean, like if, like in the Tom Hanks movie Big, you could go back and be any age, you know, again. But you're, you know, s- mentally, you'd obviously be the same person, but you'd actually go back and, you know, be in an eighteen-year-old's body. I think I'd go back. I think the peak is like twenty-four, twenty-five. You know, I, I remember being twenty-four, twenty-five, and like I could eat anything. And, you know, still look good and play sports and not worry about getting hurt and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that would be for me that because I don't know, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't that fond of like 18, 19, 20. I, I don't know. It wasn't really my 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 best time anyway. So this guy wants to change his age. And I got to tell you, um, this is going to be a thing that happens in America, too. Uh, we've been saying this for a while and it's just really a function of why not? If people feel really strongly, who are you to tell them that they can't be? Who are you to tell a 70-year-old that they can't legally, keep in mind, legally change their age? Now, people would say, Buck, you know, you can't. There are real legal implications in a whole bunch of ways. You can't be a 16-year-old if you're actually 70. And, you know, there's all, I, I get all that. But if you're 70 and you want to be 50, why not? If you're 70 and you want to be 25, why not? You know, change your whole, change your whole vibe, man. Change your attitude. Age is a state of mind, man. Like, it's just a number, yo. Like, whatever. By the way, do you see that the uh, a bunch of cannabis stocks spiked after Jeff Sessions got fired? Uh, the stoner bump. The stoner I, bump. I said occurred. that to Mike yesterday. I said, now that Jeff Sessions is gone, they're going to legalize nationally. I'm going to tell you, I'm so mad at myself for not. I should have seen that coming. And uh, as an investor, I should have just grabbed a bunch of pot stocks. I knew Jeff was going to be out. I didn't know what day exactly. But as soon as he's out, everyone's like, oh, man, he's like, oh, it's like the fuzz is like not on our tail anymore, man. Like, you know, they think they're going to be all right now. Some of those pot stocks, by the way, have gone up incredible amounts in the last 12 months, like wild cryptocurrency kind of kind of swing. So anyway, age is a spectrum now, folks. You heard it. You heard it here. Legally, there's going to be challenges to this. It's not going to work. They're going to come up, but but it, it is interesting because it forces the left once again to have to explain itself on some of these issues. It forces the left to 
to come out and say, oh, okay, well, here's why there is an objective criteria to age, but not an objective criteria to gender. Even though the gender spectrum that they say exists allows you to be a man, a woman, a Z, a Z, a Z, you know, all these different made up uh, pronouns now. That's all psychological. Uh, they need to come up with an explanation as to as to why that is okay, but not age. And, and I think that they they're going to be upset by this because they'll say it's intrinsic to identity. But age is age is a very important part of identity. So get ready for a little more of this. Got a roll call coming up. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Got the roll call. Going to be up in New York City this weekend, by the way. I'm very excited about that. Going to go see Miss Molly and have some other fun things planned. I miss my hometown. And it, it is, in fact, less full of crazy libs than D.C., believe it or not. New York City is a more normal place in terms of politics than D.C. D.C. is insane. The moment you step out of, like, a Republican congressman's office or the White House and you actually wander around the streets here, whew, man, I, I cannot vouch for your, your, uh, your emotional health if you try to engage in a conversation with any D.C. native about any matter of politics. But there you have it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part of Roll Call, and you know you do. Roll Call's the best. It's so fun. Come out to the coast. Have a few laughs. Don writes, great hair, great show, shields high. Well, Don, you're a great American. With regard to the Democrat supervisor of elections in Broward County, Florida, Brenda Snipes, after the 2016 elections, an advocacy group requested access to the voting record, as it is their right, only to find out they had been destroyed. Florida law requires maintaining them for two years. Well, Don, obviously something is up here, my friend. What the heck is going on? I don't have an answer to that, but I wanted to ask the question. So there you have it. Um, Michael writes, so long to your buddy Sessions. And also, dude, you got to jump on this and resurrect the shagging wagon. And he sent me a link to a 1989 Oldsmobile custom cruiser wagon. Now, Michael, let me tell you a little something. First of all, thank you for thinking of me. You're, you're also a great American. Second of all, the shagging wagon which was, in fact, the name of my wood-paneled Buick Roadmaster station wagon, was a 1992 with wood panels in pale blue, if memory serves. I think it was 1992. Early 90s, Buick Roadmaster. That thing looked like a boat and pretty much handled like one, too. You know, you really, if you took a turn at more than 30 miles an hour, you were really... You're going to see your life flash before your eyes. Uh, but, man, that thing was fun. In college, the shagging wagon is what my friends called it because, of course, if that's the car you're driving, there will be no shagging. That was what they used to say. I'm just, I don't make these, you know, I don't make the rules here. Just telling you. And then this came up on the now uh, discontinued, but, but when it was in its heyday, wonderful show, Red Eye on Fox News, I once told Mr. Greg Gutfeld and company about the shagging wagon, and it became a thing. We used to discuss the shagging wagon. I'd go on Red Eye and people would hashtag shagging wagon at me. So, yep. Caitlin writes, Whoa, regarding Acosta assaulting that poor girl on national TV, 
Where is the outrage from the Me Too lefties on this? The hypocrisy is nauseating. We're keeping up the good fight here in North Idaho to stay red as ever. Caitlin. Well, Caitlin, thank you for writing in. And yes, please keep up that fight in North Idaho. And please, please keep listening to the Buck Saxton Show. Tell more folks in Idaho. They should, they should get in on this action, too. Christopher writes, Buck, invention software, cellular phone, APP uh, app. Sorry, APP. Gosh, Buck. Technology. All cell phones can hear, detect gunshot sounds and send local officers when appropriate automatically thinking out loud. Christopher, they do have some systems similar to that in New York City where they have a, a sonic technology that will uh, f- essentially track gunshots. And they use it particularly on certain parade days because, believe it or not, there was a big problem in New York City. I don't know if it continues, but maybe 10 years ago it was still ongoing. We're on the Caribbean Day Parade. I'm just telling you the facts here. I don't know why. On the Caribbean Day Parade, there would often be gunfire from rooftops in uh, Brooklyn, in New York, including automatic gunfire. And very few, I would imagine, none of the folks that were firing automatic weapons off of rooftops in Brooklyn had the uh, special uh, federal license in order to have a legally owned automatic weapon. I would guess zero of them. And also uh, to fire it off a rooftop is reckless and you could kill somebody. So... They use that sonic technology to try to track down those who were firing guns off. Uh, I don't know how successful it was, but it is something that has been done in the past. Mitch writes, um, uh, I get informed by you guys, Glenn, Mark, and others. I got no use for the news. 30 minutes or so of you and the rest, and then all the other stuff is worthless. I know the station has to get money from advertising, but entertainment news? Come on, man, that's a waste. Mitch uh, was not happy about the uh, some of the news breaks. And, and Mitch, I hear you. I, I don't have any control. That's your local station, though, my friend. I don't have any control over uh, the news that are in, that's in the breaks. So, I look, I appreciate you like my show. And you can all, just listen. And if you ever want to listen, you can try the podcast. And that way, there's no news breaks. So, I'm just putting that out there. Patrick writes, no on Iron Fist? Do you even kung fu, bro? Patrick, the answer is no, of course I do not kung fu, but I like your question, and it was funny. As for Iron Fist, Iron Fist is terrible, dude. Patrick, I can't back you up on this. Daredevil has plenty of martial arts, but it also has real acting and a story. Iron Fist is just boring. It just sucks. It's just not a good show, and I don't know how Netflix could spend so much time and money putting together a show that's such weak sauce. It was really bad, man. I mean, I'm not being harsh. Iron Fish, well, well, Iron Fist was a stinking fish. I, I guess I combined those two. Iron Fish is a very different show. Um, but yeah, I, look, if you like it, man, that's all that really matters. You know what I'm saying? I'm just a guy talking into a microphone. You know, I don't, I don't get to determine reality. Uh, Buck, your referral of Peaky Blinders is spot on. Bam. Thank you so much, Keith. Shields high, dude. It was a blue tinkle to be followed by a blue flush in 2020. Yo, I, I hear you on that, man. I, I just, I, I was up to my ankle in that blue wave. That blue wave got my toesies a little wet. Oh, gosh, my toesies are wet from the blue wave. Yeah, I know. I agree. Eric. Buck, do you think there's any way to federally mandate the teaching of civics in our elementary schools? Today's leftists are screaming to abolish the Electoral College, add a bunch of seats to SCOTUS, abolish the Senate, and generally get rid of the checks and balances that protect us from dictatorship. If they understood the basics, 
maybe they wouldn't uh, be ready to say such insane things. Well, I'm sure that they would tell you that they are, in fact, teaching civics in schools. The problem is they're not teaching it the way it should be taught, right? I think that's, I think that's what you should uh, you should keep in mind here. So, you know, I, I'm with you on it. I'm very frustrating, but it, it's just we're not going to be able to win the fight over the schools anytime soon. We got to keep fighting, though. Got to keep our shields high. Irwin writes, I was listening to your podcast on my walk this morning, and you mentioned that you were looking for a reasonable definition of how the left would define a racist. A friend of mine said this the other day. A racist that has, uh, is a conservative that has won the argument with a liberal. Irwin, I hear you on that, my man. And uh, I know that that's not technically the definition of a racist, but I like where, I like where your head's at. You know? I, like, I like what you're, what you're putting down. Copernicus. First of all, Copernicus gets the award for coolest name today. Uh, thank you for figuring out that the Earth rotates around the sun, yo. Good job. Isn't the takeaway from the House results last night that if you give up, you lose? 40 retirements just because you think there'll be a blue wave is not a way to win. Uh, Copernicus, I do think those retirements were a big part of it. I think the people just wanted to get out while they thought the getting was good. Because remember, you know, in, the, in those earlier months of the Trump administration, too, a lot of Republicans thought the whole thing was going to just collapse and it's going to be a mess and a disaster. And, you know, it really took some time before people realized, oh, wait a second, Trump kind of knows what he's doing. In fact, he's doing a pretty damn good job. So there you have it. Uh, hey, Buck, this is from Alan. I read that the White House can lift the credentials of any reporter. Why wouldn't they bar Acosta from attending press conferences? Are his antics actually welcome in that it proves CNN is a biased organization? You know, Alan, you raise a very interesting point. A couple of very interesting points. One is, you know, I, I'm a reporter and I, I work a few blocks from the, I'm not a reporter, I'm a media person. I take that back. But I'm in the media and I work a few blocks from the White House and I can certainly do reporting. Will they get my, uh, can I walk to the White House and just say, okay, I want to pass? No, they won't give me one. Why not? I'm way smarter than Jim Acosta and better at my job. Why, why can't I have a White House pass? Oh, because it's a privilege. And they give it out to people based on the organization's relationship with them and all the rest of it, right? It's not something you just get to demand that you can have. And I think that people should start to view it more in that sense. Now, as to um, CNN's and the antics of Acosta and whether, and whether it's welcome because it proves what a clown show CNN is, I, I think that the president doesn't mind that people see Acosta and CNN for what they really are because of those press conferences. I think, that the, I think that Trump knows that the more people see of this and the more they understand what's really going on, what's really at work, the more likely it is that they will um, understand that CNN is a steaming trash pile of fake news, which doesn't mean that everything they say is untrue, okay? That's not what that means. It means that the way they present themselves as an unbiased news organization is fraudulent. It is fake. They are not, they are not an honest broker of information without partisan affiliation. That is a fraud. That is why they are fake news. Deal with it, CNN. Deal with it. Uh, one more here. Paul writes, Hey, Buck, I really believe deeply that we wouldn't have held the House if we didn't have those 40 congressional retirements because we lost all those incumbents which would have had a good chance of holding their seats. We lost the House. Uh, you know, I think, Paul, you may be right. I, I think your analysis is is uh, correct, just like the other gentleman who raised this issue. So those retirements did not help. Republicans don't have a great 
track record of standing their ground and fighting on a lot of issues. And I think that there are a lot of, like some of them are probably just old and tired of doing it too. So there is that. Tomorrow we're going to have a little Freestyle Friday action up in NYC. Might even have a special visit from my friends at Black Rifle, the most delicious, most fantastic coffee in the world, which I drink every morning black now. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I wasn't even a black coffee drinker before Black Rifle, but I felt like just the name of the coffee, Black Rifle, well, I got to try it black, right? So I'll see you tomorrow from New York City, or we'll talk tomorrow from New York City. The Freedom Hub, baby. As always, shields high. This weekend, I'm going to be on a train. You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to use some public Wi-Fi. Now, that's unsecure, as you know. I mean, you're putting yourself out there for all kinds of hackers and third-party apps and all sorts of stuff that can decide to take your information and either use it for nefarious purposes or just sell it. You know, you don't want that. That's why you need ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet, and it's so easy. All I have to do is one click, and my ExpressVPN protection is in place. If you don't want to hand over your online history to your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online privacy today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck.